Salam and welcome to another episode of In Conversation in association with Reorient Journal and the Critical Muslim Studies Project. In this episode, I am in conversation with Mohamed Tal on critical race theory and the Black Lives Matter movement. Assalamu alaikum, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of Network Reorient. Today we have with us Mohamed Uthal, a student at Al Azhar Mosque. Uh, Mohamed, do you want to introduce yourself a bit better? Yes, yeah, no problem. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um, yes, my name is Mohamed Uthal. Um, I'm a British law graduate, and then I moved to Egypt to pursue Islamic studies, where I studied Arabic and um, memorizing Quran. Alongside this, I joined Al Azhar Mosque uh, Sharia program, which is like a three and a half year program which teaches all the fund- fund- fundamental uh, rudimentary sciences of Islam. Alongside this, I study in, in uh, Marqaz Imam Malik. Um, yeah, so that's my background. Okay, really interesting. So how are you finding it, Al-Azhar? How is yeah, it? Very, very, very interesting, actually. I mean, Azhar has two routes. You have a route where you can go to university and get a degree, which is somewhat... Um, it's more in line with like a university structure where you have modules and terms and as her mosque program is much more of a traditional way like you sit with teachers you know um read books kind of cover to cover and it's a bit more of a traditional setting okay that's interesting i'm sure some of our listeners who may be thinking of going to a lesson themselves could uh if they have any questions um so what i wanted to talk to you uh today about It's uh, two things, but let's see if we can create a nice segue uh, between the two of them. So my first question to you is, why should Muslims care about critical race theory? Oh, yeah, if throw me right into the deep end. Oh, yeah, that's (laughs) why we're all deep end here. (laughs) I feel like even before on, uh, on, I feel like, to understand the world we live in today, especially in the American context, but not exclusively to the American context, critical race theory was birthed out of the era of Jim Crow or post-Jim Crow um, to how can we understand racism? That's what, that's what the essence is of, about. How do you understand racism? How do we understand um, how racism works in institutions and the intersectionality between racism in, in different various uh, structures, for example, and different how like you know what does it mean to uh, racism against black people and that, and that specific uh, so racism against uh, black women, for example, and the specific examples that exist in that how racism permeate our housing decisions. We know, for example, in America we had redlining, for example, where p- people in in and the result of redlining is that ghettos were created and suburbs were created mm-hmm. so for example how how does racism permeate the justice system why is it uh, how does race for example we you know uh, how do we know for example black people are more likely to be stopped and searched and that's in the uk as well how black people are more likely to go to jail we have something in in, in america called the school to prison pipeline for example it's almost like you know black and uh, black people in uh, schools in america for example mm-hmm. black, especially black male it's almost like they're almost being geared and, and pushed towards um uh, going to prison for example we know a good example is the language around reporting of of, of incidents in america how does racism permeate that so for another example would be um we know that black and white people in america uh, use marijuana about the same but however black people are over over are overrepresented overrepresented in the justice system for 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 
marijuana crimes. We know, for example, when, when the crack epidemic plagued the black community, we know it was talking like, you know, the whole war on drugs and we have to get rid of these, these criminals who are bringing drugs in. But we know recently we have an opioid epidemic, which is affecting more of white, more white people. It's language being told like, you know, mental health and it's a, men it's a mental health issue. So again, critical race theory aims to deal with all these factors in society and how racism permeates almost every um, institution and structure in, in, in that we live in. So now, of course, we can go from the history of how black how how many black Muslims are in America. We know we know America's history is obviously born uh, born on you know birth racism, not birth racism, but like is is foundations is a racist foundation. So critical critical race theory is dealing with this. We know that the majority people forget this, but the majority of um, the majority of Muslims in America are actually black people. And, and you mm -hmm. know, people ask me, oh, but are you black or are you Muslim? And I say, well, I'm a black Muslim. Well, yes, of course, I, I, it has no biological reality, me being uh, black, but it has a definitely sociological reality. When I, when I go out into the world, like it or not, people encounter me first as a black man before as a Muslim. So naturally, I'm affected like I, I, me being a black Muslim, a black atheist, black Christian in the streets, uh, we're seen as black people and that's our reality so crt mm. you know to kind of shorten it is used to how do we understand this how can we understand this how can we how can we approach it in a way that seeks to understand it and seeks to address it naturally the mm. kind of some of the founders of crt had either non-muslims many of them were not muslims some of them were you know marxist and and whatever it may be they had different kind of epistemologies but the problem is now, so now this is the, this is the issue. And I, I feel like every Muslim should be out there trying to fight for justice. I believe that the Quranic command for justice is, is, a, is an imperative that Muslims fight for justice. And this and CRT seeks to understand the problem. You cannot go and fight a fire blindly. But the issue mm -hmm. we have, we have some people who, for whatever reason it may be, I mean, we can guess why. We had some Muslim thinkers who said that come out with saying CRT is kufr. CRT is 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 because of some because of some of the founders or some of the people some of the the kind of proponents of CRT and the thinkers of, who kind of developed the theory were even non-Muslims, which I find preposterous. Mm. Okay, yeah, this was actually, this was. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, that was you covered a lot in that, and I've got. Um, I'm trying to keep up with my uh, follow-up questions. So. I want to take one at a time because there's quite a lot. Like I said, there's quite a lot there, and I want to yeah. unpack each one um, individually as far as we can, as far as time allows oh, us. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that when you're seen in the street, yeah. you're seen as a black person primarily. Yeah. And you also mentioned that there are some Muslims uh, who basically ask you, are you black or are you Muslim? Yeah. Now, I want to ask, why has that occurred? Yeah. Both things. Why are you first seen as black before you're seen as Muslim? Well, in both instances, actually, why are you seen as black before you're seen as Muslim? Or even why are the identity seen as mutually exclusive in yes. the example that you gave of uh, Muslims saying, you know, are you black or are you Muslim? I wanted to get your thoughts as to why you think that is. Why has this occurred? Why has this happened? I mean, the problem is it's definitely ignorance because, for example, I mean, we, we know historically Islam reached Africa before it reached many other places of the world, which is now majority Muslim places. So it's ignorance. But at the end of the day, it's like people have set up this dichotomy that 
if you're an Arab or you're from a Desi background, your Islam is just seen as a given. Of course, he's a Muslim. Whereas if you're if you're black, it's almost that like you must therefore be a convert. You must therefore not have a lineage of Muslims. And I think it's to do with ignorance because we we just don't know the rich history of Islam and in Africa and how and how Islam wasn't even conquered. I mean, Islam did not conquer Africa by the sword. It was literally the the, the tribesmen and the and the and the clan men of of various African tribes after through trade through the merch with the arab merchants came to embrace islam at their own will so so when i have people ask me like you know are you black or are you muslim it, it definitely comes from a place of ignorance and then now culturally what you have now you have that the cultural expressions of pakistani and the cultural expressions of of, uh, of um subcontinent and the cultural expressions of arab are therefore seen are therefore sanctioned and given the green light by Islam, that no one would ever question a thobe, even though the Prophet didn't wear a thobe. But we see it as Islamic garb, Islamic dress. No one will question, um, for example, they, some people have, maybe some people will, but Kawali is, is promoted. But now what we have is that the, the cultural expressions of, of black people or African cultural expression is met with like, oh, this is a bit gharib, this is a bit strange. Mm. So, and I think that's where it comes so from. Ultimately, it comes from a place of ignorance and not knowing. Okay, I would then want to suggest why don't we know as much as, for example, I don't know, the Songhai Empire? Yeah. Uh, or to use the other, I think there's two main uh, black men that Muslims always come to is Bilal and Mansa Musa. Mansa Musa, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, when I ask people, like, so who was Mansa Musa? The only thing that they can say to me is, oh, he was the person who went on Hajj with the massive caravan, and that's about it. So I want to kind of go a bit deeper. I know, so it is ignorance. I agree with you, yeah. but then that ignorance is born out of something. Yes, ignorance doesn't just spring out exactly uh, from nowhere. So I want to kind of mine that a bit deeper. Why do you think then that everyone knows about the Abbasids? Everyone knows about the Umayyads. Everyone knows about the Umayyad Part Two in Spain. Yeah. I guess you could call it that. Yeah. Um, so why does no one look a bit uh, deeper south than Spain? Yeah, and draw upon those um, resources. Why do you think that is? That's a tough question. Um, mm. I feel like it's very controversial, but I feel like That's we have to, we have to we have to approach and understand that within our traditional text, there have been it's been rife with anti-blackness. So, for example, um, we I've always made this example. I said it several times. We I find I've read fiqh books that say. Uh, black women don't have to wear the hijab because they're undesirable in society. Or you'll find fiqh books that write black women don't have to have a wali to get married because they're undesirable in society. Or you have things that stay, um, you know, you have Ibn Khaldun, who I respect a lot of his insights, says that black people are likened to animals. You know, and these and you have, and you have, and this, 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 this is just some examples. We know the Zand rebellion against the Abbasids was was uh, was a slave, a black slave rebellion against the, the ruling Muslims. Uh, we have mm. fatawa that say black men ought to be castrated, and also that the but that that is not just that. This is one. Uh, these are just few examples that exist in the context of Arab supremacy. Mm. So, for example, we, we know we have we have many ahadith that state that you know the best people are Arabs, but of course, even with the it doesn't mean the or like for example the Khalifa ought to be from the Quraysh and all these ahadith that speak about the virtues of the Arabs. So I feel like we come from a 
her history where we have had Arab supremacy and Arab reigning supreme and you've and that's been that has permeated our books mm. okay and then that obviously leads to then when people read those books they think that actually there's nothing to be taken from these empires exactly. yeah okay I see um okay now the second thing uh, that I want to unpack yeah and it may help us actually um like expand upon the answer that you've just given as well is uh, you mentioned briefly that some uh, Muslim thinkers had recently come out against CRT. Yeah. Uh, that it contained elements that are against Islam, or yeah. I've seen that it would damage Islamic unity. Yeah. Um, what are your views regarding these? What What would you say? So say somebody came up to you and um, repeated these views, what yeah. would your response to them be? I would just say that being nice, <laughs> being nice, <laughs> I would say that you just need to do your research and just do your and, and and have a more nuanced approach. What I find amongst many of these people who who claim scholarship or who belong to the so-called scholarly class, the, which I call the clergymen of Islam, they just don't they just lack so much nuance. Like mm. I, I don't understand. Do we not come from a legacy where we've taken from 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 a tradition that has taken from different uh, empires or different people? We've taken from the Greeks. We've taken from and we've you know we've kind of incorporated like I mean I studied Ashari Aqidah yeah mm. Ashari Aqidah is obviously what people consider to be well whatever side of the spectrum you are you consider Ashari Aqidah to be uh, some people will say it's Ahlu Sunnah yeah if you look at Ahlu Sunnah and if you look at the fiqh books I mean the Aqidah books sorry on on belief and establishing the the hujja the evidence evidences for Allah being uh, real and Allah being existence. It's just the arguments that existed in Aristotle's time. It's just Aristotelian logic. Mm. So my point is that we clearly have a legacy of taking things from other people. And these people are not, you know, Muslims. They're not pressed Tawheed in the same way that we understand it. So my, so my issue is that why is it we can come from a tradition that takes things and, and can see it for what it is? If there's khair in it, if there's good in it, we can take it. If there's no mm. good in it, if it, and the things that we disagree, we leave. But again, it's for me... It's very suspect. It's very suspect that people are not ignorant to the fact that we've taken from other traditions and taken from other uh, other kind of people. But when it comes down to saying we want to understand how racism affects people, especially the people who seem to be at the the the, the recipients of the harshest racism in in modern day is black people are black people that mm-hmm. people come out with articles and saying that, oh my God, this is kufr. Oh my God, we can't accept this. For me, it's been very suspect. Mm. Okay, suspect in what way do you mean? Like, it, it speaks to me of the anti-black sentiment. Mm. Because what, what, we, what we have to understand is that, I mean, viewers will know this as well as I do. There has been a, a push, um, not even so, so an overt push now to kind of, say or prove or, or or align islam with the right of politics mm. to say that okay islam is somehow more aligned to the right wing of politics because islam is more aligned to the republican party in, Amer- in the american context as opposed to the left because you know the left is ideas on family islam is against that which again we can go into that but you know so for me when you adopt the the vernacular of the right or the positions of the right that people do, naturally you're going to start criticizing um, those who had Marxist leanings. 
Mm. So then the question becomes just to like kind of interject with my own because you're firing off the old synapses in the brain. Yeah. Then it doesn't uh, become a question of, oh, you're taking from others or you're taking from others. It's which others are you taking from? Exactly. And others are not created equal, as it were. <laughs> I, I love that. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna steal that. It's fine. It's fine. Go over it. Go over it. Um, so, just to follow up with that, actually, just to keep on that um, point, the taking from other traditions, you mentioned uh, an example of that. Yeah. From the Asheris, uh, do you have any other examples of that that um, you could share? Because that sounded fascinating. So, if you have any other examples, that would be really good. I'm trying to think. Um... I mean, a lot of it's definitely in Kalam. So Kalam in general, I'm trying to think of other examples, but it's definitely in Kalam at this point. So, for example, I know that even, I mean, look at Imam Ghazali. Imam Ghazali's whole thing was that, you know, reputation of the philosophers. What did he do? He studied all, his reputation of philosophers is that, of philosophy, sorry, is that he went out and wrote a book on philosophy first. He studied their, their books and studied their works so well, um, and then to be able to understand it and then refute it. For example, we know the Beit al-Hikmah, we know that you would give you was given X amount of dir- dirhams for learning Greek to be able to translate it into Arabic. We know mm. for in, 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 in Islamic Spain, we know there was places that we know there was actually hubs instituted by the, by the caliphate where you had philosophers, Muslim, Jewish and Christian philosophies all working together. Mm. These are all very real examples that, are, that history attests to. OK, interesting. Very interesting. Now. What I want to do is I want to kind of shift to another critique of CRT. So we've done one, uh, which is basically this thing about, you know, uh, CRTs against Islam. And you've kind of mentioned that, that we take the good and we leave the bad. Yeah. And that's fine. But there's another critique that I've seen that's popped up a bit more recently, actually. And it's to do with the fact that people or certain Muslim scholars personalities, activists, whatever you want to call them, are saying that there is no such thing as race <laughs> in Islam. Yeah. And so Islam and Muslims are, oh, I guess my question to you then is, can, or I guess is, Islam and or Muslims blind to race? Of, of course not. <laughs> of course not. I mean, the thing is, I think the thing is, before even going to the Islam, you have, or talking about Islam and its relationship with race and racism, you have to understand that race is a racism is a human problem, regardless mm. of faith. It's a human problem, and this idea of and I feel like if people it sounds nice, doesn't it? That Islam, Islam is you know people will say things like Islam eradicated racism fourteen hundred years ago, and then I mm. said no, I said no, Islam commanded us to eradicate race racism fourteen hundred years ago. But it's, it's, racism is very much well alive in Muslim-majority countries. I live in, I live in Egypt, which is not... I live in Egypt and, and I live in the Middle, uh, in the Middle East. And, uh, and many people who live in the Middle East can attest to this, that the word Abid, which comes from Abd, refers to black people. Mm. You know, that's... that's, 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 that's and, you know, and people don't even see it as derogatory. That's, that's, how, that's how deeply ingrained it is. Hmm. So, I mean, I, for me, I, I don't think you can... And then uh, people say that, oh, people would like to use Malcolm X's and say, oh, but, you know, he... Um, he, he Malcolm X did rightly say that um, Islam is the only religion that can kind of... Um, that can kind of eradicate the racism problem. And I, and, and I understand that. I see that. 
it's like and, and juxtaposed, juxtaposed to that James Baldwin says that you know he can't trust the Christian church because the most segregated hour in American life is high noon on Sunday because you have a black church and a white church mm. so you know I kind of I kind of understand but I said boy um there was divine wisdom Malcolm X being taken in the time he the time he was because if he was to stick around any longer and see the racism that actually exists among, against black people in Muslim majority countries God knows only God knows what position he would have taken it would have been interesting actually I always wonder what would have happened if like uh, Malcolm X had actually lived exactly like to the fullest extent of his life to you know <laughs> I mean, ultimately, he went, he, went, he, went, he went on time at Hajj, everyone's together. And even in Hajj, you have a classist kind of move. Classism uh, is rife in Hajj. Rich people, poor people, the Africans, everyone's segregated. But again, during the prayer, during Arafat, everyone's together. But mm-hmm. and obviously, Malcolm X was, when he's traveling around the Muslim world and traveling around, around Muslim-majority countries, what he, he's going as someone who's a VIP. As a, as a, you know, he's very important. Yeah. He's, been, he's being received by heads of state. That's different yeah. to uh, him being a, a regular black person in these countries. Okay, so you would actually suggest that his experience of Hajj wasn't of a normal black person, and it, most definitely. Ah, most definitely. He, he. I mean, come on. He, he met. He met. He was. He, he was with. Uh, he met King Faisal. King Faisal received him. Mm. Um, he was. You know. He was very much. He went. I think he performed Hajj twice, actually, if I remember correctly. And both times he was received as as a, as someone of great esteem. So, okay. I, so I know. I mean, people who I know, um, the, Af- the people who I haven't formed had myself, but from stories I've heard from my parents who have been. My father's going to be eighty-one now, and uh, and people and people older than me has been. They said, yeah, that the people look at you funny. They might even um, you're not treated the same way. People, certain people have better tents. Certain people are given priority in in uh, in different kind of hotels today, and this kind of thing. Mm. Okay, that's interesting because yeah. then. It'd be good. It would have, like you, what we mentioned, it would have been interesting to see how Malcolm X would have responded to that had he uh, lived. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I want to, and now I want to kind of follow up on something else yeah. uh, that you said that we kind of left dangling. Um, you mentioned uh, that there's a certain push towards um, making Islam align more with the values of the right wing yeah. in the West as opposed to the left. Yeah. And I know you were very heavily involved in the debate that took place, um, mainly over blogs, over yeah. social media recently with the CRT stuff. Yeah. And I want to kind of get your opinion on how far do you think that debate was a reflection of the current culture wars of the West oh, seeping into the Islamic age? 100%, 100%. I mean, the fact of the matter is, for me, it speaks to the growing disconnect between the scholarly class and 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 young people first and foremost and also as well what you find by scholarly class i mean those who so i i use i usually use the term neo-traditionalist but i've mm-hmm. been told recently that maybe it's th- that these people who are called neo-traditionalists do not have a monopoly on traditionalism so, yes yes which is true which is true so for want of a better term i'm going to use the same term again but i hope the listeners will understand where i'm coming from talking about a specific subset of people who lay claim to to traditionalism I feel like it speaks to growing disconnect between that camp and young people and in that camp and even the academic uh, academic scene because undoubtedly uh, whether we like it or not young people the, the cultural war has been won by the left mm. muslim or non-muslim 
young Muslims find themselves more aligned to the values of the left. Mm. So is that necessarily yeah. a good or a bad thing? What What do you think? Because I would, I wouldn't, um, hmm. I wouldn't think that the left has won the culture war outside of Islam or the Muslims. I would think the right is very much on the rise. Yeah. Uh, outside of like now we're talking just about in the West generally, I've, I struggle to see uh, any like concerted unified effort from the left that kind of matches oh, yeah, the right, for example. <laughs> yeah. Um, so would you say then that most the Muslim youth is kind of like a pushback against that, or do you think that there's more of a split evenly within the Muslim youth themselves? From, I mean, again, this is from me speaking from my from my yeah, perspective. So I, I can I can't speak for everybody, but from what I see and people I interact with, I feel like young Muslims have been um, young Muslims are definitely more aligned to to the values of the left, and they're trying to push, and then they recognize it as well. So because when when you kind of adopt the language of the left, as it were, you start recognizing those who are on the right even more so. And then mm. when you see the scholars now, Islamic scholars who, again, lay claim to traditionalism, you find that they have also adopted that vernacular as well. And then, you know, that's when you have those debates and pushbacks and people going back and forth. Mm. Okay. Now, I want to kind of segue into something else. We've been mentioning the right and left yeah. uh, wing. And I want to kind of uh, take us in a slightly different direction, something that's a bit more... Um, more topical now, I yeah. guess. Um, and that's the recent protests around the killing of George Floyd yeah. around the world, not just in the US, UK, but there's been protests everywhere. Yeah. And again, we've had a contingent of uh, scholars saying that Muslims should not be uh, taking part in uh, protests, especially Black Lives Matter protests, yeah. because Black Lives Matter advocate for certain non-Islamic or what they see as certain non-Islamic uh, positions, what yeah. would be your response to this? Because now this is, I see this as different to before, because here it's not just um, theory, if yeah. there can be a split between theory and practice, of course. Um, it's not just taking the good and leaving the bad, you're actually creating a political platform with these people. Yes. Uh, so yes. what would be your response? Um I, first and foremost, I think it's very important, and I feel like, again, it's just that we just have so our our religious leadership is so unimaginative, and so um, for me, it's one of these things where I I can, as a young person, and many do, many Muslims do, can separate Black Lives Matter as a slogan from a movement, and I feel the vast majority of people who who are involved in the protests associate the the what's happening more so with the actual um slogan as opposed to the movement now onto your specific question of getting involved in the movement again it's like where the question is before we even speak about black lives matter movements more specifically we're talking mm -hmm. about can we work with people to achieve a goal i mean first and foremost we say Achieving justice and fighting for justice is an Islamic imperative. Yes, we can all agree on that. Yeah. Now, can we work? The question is, can we work with people who who are in line with our 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 call for justice 
and 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 who are and have a great platform and who are pushing a movement that we all support can we work with people who do that while simultaneously advocate for for things that are um that are seen as deemed as not un-Islamic or, or a haram in our Sharia? That's the question now. For me personally, mm. from my reading, I believe absolutely you can. And and I, and I feel like it, I don't. I feel like it doesn't. Again, but again, this is I'm different. I don't feel compromised at all. I don't see. I don't feel compromised in supporting BLM, the the slogan, of course, and the movement, and the places where I feel like I that I disagree with them on. I can make that known. I can vote I can be vocalized on that. Mm. Okay. Um I, you've yeah, meant sorry, go on. No, no, that's just that's just my stance. Oh, okay, that's fine. Um you've mentioned the Black Lives Matter slogan yeah. and separating that from the movement. Yeah. But I don't think it's as simple okay. as that. Um simply because if you have Black Lives Matter the slogan, yeah, at the end of the day, that's just a slogan. What's What's the substance behind it? Yeah, but I do feel like as you know what I mean. Yeah, and no, I totally, I totally agree with you. But I feel like the movement in and of itself is obviously more specific to the American context. So okay, me, so so when I so when I say for, I and mean, we have a, we have a wing in the UK which is very which is very small compared compared to the American movement, for example. Even the proponents of Black Lives Matter, you only hear the the, the, the only hear the people and the characters from the American context as opposed to the UK context. So when I, so mm. when I so when I'm saying Black Lives Matter in the UK context, I'm using that just as a catalyst to address systemic racism, for example. Mm. As opposed okay. to me saying I'm a member of this movement, I'm a member of this party. Mm. And and I mean I think we should just keep it very real and very one hundred. The main reason why people have Muslims have an issue with it is because of their views on LGBTQ. Yeah, and I find <laughs> it very and I find this. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. And I find it very strange that because of so again they don't first of all black lives matter doesn't even make it doesn't even make their uh, their main call isn't for the lgbtq community anyway mm. so for example this first certain issue people are going to raise that oh but it's funded by george soros people are going to mention that people are going to say that it's uh it stance on family and it's which i find we can go into that as well i find it very muslim stance on family i've had muslims say to me but blm supports the destruction of the nuclear family i'm like uh we come from a religion that has polygamy <laughs> yeah uh-huh. <laughs> I, I find it very strange i find i can't lie i did find that very uh, strange like i'm thinking the nuclear family is part and parcel of the american dream it has nothing to do with islam on <laughs> wow okay we forget about that when yeah. uh, when it's convenient exactly okay I mean, um, again, we have again. We can go. There's so much you can unpack on that. I mean, we we come from a, a tradition that has allowed concubinage. Is that a nuclear family? So to say that, yeah. to say that, all of a sudden that it's, BLM wants to destroy the nuclear family and therefore anti-Islamic, huh? I really, mm. I have, a, I, I really can't put my wrap my head around those things. Mm. But yeah, so I said, the, the, so the people have issue with BLM because apparently the funding is questionable, which probably is. Um, the the nuclear family idea and the LGBTQ idea, all these three things are not what they stand for primarily. So I said that you mm. know, for me, my question is this: Can I work with people who their primary focus is establishing justice and and seeking to address society's ills? I think hundred percent I can and I will. And mm. and the places that I feel 
compromise. I don't, I don't feel compromised anyway, but places I feel uncomfortable in or pe- things that I cannot support in, then yes, then, then fine. Then fine, I'll, I'll make that known. But again, it's like, I, just, I, just, I want to understand what is, I, I still don't have an answer to this question. Maybe you, from your reading, you can tell me and the listeners, what is the massive fear so why do people fear the lgbtq movement so much i just want to understand because i we, do we not come from a tradition where homosexuality was the norm not the sorry not the norm sorry let me retract that where homosexuality was rife in our muslim muslim majority societies mm. it was it was like it was the only difference is from now and uh, with obviously postmodernism is that it's become an identity and in, historically it wasn't an identity Mm. But I just don't that one it. that yeah. one you'd know you'd know more than me given your training but um i think i can't really speak to the fear to be honest um but what i do want to do yeah is while it's still fresh in my head because you again the synapses are firing and i want to kind of ask questions before i lose my thread yeah of course um is what would you say to people who then turn around and say to you, so if you say Black Lives Matter, yeah, yeah? what would you say to those who basically retort all lives matter? <laughs> you knew this one was coming. Yeah, of course. So, of course. <laughs> you probably knew this one was coming. So <laughs> I mean, there I, you go. <laughs> I, I, said, I, said it, I said it several times at, at, the, at the protests that I've been to. You know, I said that all lives will never matter until Black Lives Matter. And what, I, what I'm trying to say to that is that, again, people don't even know where these statements are coming from. All these statements do not exist in a vacuum and they don't come out. There are responses to things that are happening. Black Lives Matter was a response to the uh, most recent um, caught on camera uh, acts, acts of police brutality and police acting with impunity against black bodies. That's where that slogan has, uh, was, was born out of. Mm. Now, right wing tropes and, 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 the slogan all lives matter was a response to that so what we're trying to, and what and people don't understand it's kind of it's so insidious that it's trying to say that okay you lot are declaring your humanity but however we all are just human and what that, that seeks to derail the conversation that seeks to kind of like undermine the call for black lives matter and replace it with all lives matter and it's very it's very insidious because what it, all it is it appeals to everybody doesn't it like of course mm. me as a person i believe all lives matter of course i do i believe that i believe in equality of course i do mm-hmm. but it but i have a question mark why why was it why is all lives matter being uh a call as a response to black lives matter that's a that's a, that's a questionable act why were you not saying all lives matter beforehand why is it when black people have decided to declare that their humanity must be recognized by any means necessary that now we have that now we say all lives matter where was that call before mm. So yeah, like, it's, yeah, it's just sprung up as soon as Black Lives Matter sprung up. Exactly. We started hearing All Lives Matter and it's almost, the timing is very suspect <laughs> to use your uh, wording. <laughs> um, but okay, now like I did with um, the CRT stuff, there's one particular um, criticism of the protests and yeah. what's been going on at the protests that I really wanted to get your opinion on because it's obviously right now it's a very hot topic yeah. what with... Uh, the Cecil Rhodes uh, statue from yeah, Oxford, yeah. the Coulston one in Bristol that got taken back up, and the Churchill one being unveiled again. 
yeah. uh, for Macron's visit. I want to um, ask you, what do you think about the position that uh, certain Muslim activist personalities have had that we um, shouldn't topple these statues because in the Quran, <laughs> it says we shouldn't <laughs> abuse idols yeah. due to the danger of God being abused in retaliation. Yeah. What do you think about this uh, position that then two, two the prophet wouldn't want us to get rid of these statues because it would increase <laughs> the danger of God being uh, abused? I think there's two. I think there's two immediate responses that come to mind. Um, firstly, being are people unaware of what the prophet did when he went to Mecca? Are they unaware that he destroyed the idols of the false gods? That's the first thing. And the second thing. Okay, now addressing the Quranic uh, command. These people, these statues are not idols. <laughs> They're not different gods. I, I agree with that. I do agree. We should not, um, we should not destroy the artifacts of other religions. But they're not, 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 I agree with you. They're not gods, but they are figures that are dear to the people who are in those areas. So, for example, the Churchill one obviously would be the dearest, I would okay, say, no, out of the course. three I mentioned. And even the Coolston one, Some uh, I saw an interview with some Bristol residents yeah. who said, actually, that statue was put up there for his philanthropy and the fact that he was a, like, you know, to Bristol, uh, in Bristol, he was known as a good person and not because of his, we're honouring one part of him, not the other part. I think Churchill, for me personally, is a, definitely needs a more nuanced approach. I don't even have a position whereby I stand on Churchill being taken down or not personally. But as for, um, again, it's like for now, where do we draw the arbitrary line? But addressing those things, I know these people are revered people, but they're not worshipped. That's my first thing. I feel like mm. when it comes to people who are things that are worshipped and seen dearly in terms of religious context, uh, but that I feel like, yes, that has a that's what that Quranic injunction is speaking to. But as for like statues now, it's like, again, they're not for what? Statues for worship are different to statues where we celebrate people. I find mm. it, I find it very problematic that we we erect people who, for example, Colston is a very clear example. For example, Churchill is again we need a more nuanced approach. I mean, someone someone said to me, "What do I recommend?" And I was like, "I'm I'm not really sure." But someone said to me, "Maybe you could have um, I've put it to like a democratic vote, for example." But whatever mm. it may be, I, I don't, church is one example, but as someone like Colston, like, okay, he, he might have fed some people and he might have um, done some great work, but we cannot deny that his company was responsible for 84,000 people making trip over the Atlantic. Mm. We can't deny the fact that his company was branded with hot iron, his logo was branded onto black bodies as they arrived at the port. We cannot deny that the fact that, that anywhere between the number of eight to 12,000 men, women, and children lost their lives on these voyages. So again, no one, I'm not saying destroy them, but put them in a museum. But I do not feel like it's appropriate that we celebrate these people. Because statue is not about, you know, people just retort of, but you're erasing history. No, you're not. History is in the museum. We, mm. te we, we teach history. When you erect an, a, a memorial or a statue of somebody, it's a celebration of that person. Mm. I don't, and I feel like it's very inappropriate to uh, celebrate these people. Mm. Okay. Um, would you say then, uh, you mentioned about we teach history. Yeah. And actually, I would argue that we don't, uh, yeah, especially okay. in the UK, yeah. we, don't, we don't teach about colonial history. So what would be your view on that? Would you want to see that? Of course. I mean, that's actually something mm. I'm, I'm working towards now. I'm trying to make a push in towards policy in, in regards to the curriculum in this country. Because even the history, we uh, it's funny because um, 
it's very easy to exist in in bubbles as as much as um i see people out there who are who are who are unaware of the history of 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 the painful legacy of of colonialism and and, and britain's role in slavery i live in a bubble mm. as well where i feel like everyone knows everyone knows this stuff but they don't and, mm. and the responses that you saw people were like people and people weren't even aware of churchill's comments for example and you know and i i got into some stick when i called churchill genocide genocidal maniac mm. um when people people were shocked like what where, where, where's your proof and the one that shocks everybody is gandhi i said gandhi was a racist yeah and people get shocked at these things like oh my god and you know people don't even know the, the extent of what what gandhi says and you know he from just just for side point gandhi used the, like they used the word uh, kafir to refer to black people in south africa Mm. You know, people don't even aware of these things. So, so you're right. I do actually concur with that. Is that we have to teach history, and and mm. you know, I know you're I know you're very much involved in like decolonial decolonialism, and I feel like you have to decolonialize the curriculum. Yeah, we have to decolonialize, de- have to decolonialize the, the history by in, by incorporating colonialism into it. Yeah, <laughs> and teaching it. Yeah, yeah, so you know what's happened. Yeah. Um, okay then, Momo. Thank you very much for that. It's been a really interesting discussion. Thank you. Thank you. And for inshallah, me. we'll uh, continue it one day. Inshallah. inshallah. Yeah. So thank you very much. Brilliant. Shakit, finish. This has been another episode of In Conversation, brought to you by Network Reorient, the podcast arm of the Critical Muslim Studies Project. Thank you for listening. We have now reached the end of Season 2. Inshallah, Season 3 will begin on Friday the 31st of July. Please have a listen to some of our other episodes and leave a rating.